Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. In honor of Valentine's Day, we have traditionally had one of us invite his wife to join for the podcast, and this year is no exception. We are joined today by my wife, Wendy. Wendy, what will we be listening to today? Uh, I brought an episode of Defense Attorney entitled Client Mike Pelly, Probably. It might also be called Client Mike Tully or Mike Pelly Death Row Plea. There's a variety of titles out there, but Client Mike Pelly is probably right. Defense Attorney ran from July of 1951 through December of 1952 and featured Mercedes McCambridge as Martha Ellis Barrett, an attorney who champions causes of the underdog and unjustly accused. Orson Welles called Mercedes McCambridge the world's greatest living radio actress. And given her long list of iconic roles and accolades, it would be hard to disagree. You've heard her voice in Lights Out, Inner Sanctum, Murder at Midnight, I Love a Mystery, and CBS Radio Mystery Theater. In addition to her radio career, she won an Oscar for her role as Sadie Burke in All the King's Men. She also provided the voice of the demon Pazuzu in The Exorcist. Defense attorney started life as the Defense Rests, an audition record for NBC in April of 1951. And NBC was moving forward with the series, but suddenly the show switched to ABC and changed its name. Why? We don't know. This surviving recording is a little hard to hear in places, but please stay with it for a great performance by a great actress, Mercedes McCambridge in Client Mike Pelly from Defense Attorney, first broadcast August 31st, 1951. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from the antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Listen to Mercedes McCambridge as defense attorney following this important reminder. On this long Labor Day weekend just ahead, there'll be an estimated 37 million drivers on the road. They are not all careful drivers, but we hope you are. Watch your own driving and watch out for the other fellow, too. Be careful. The life you save may be your own. Perhaps in order to get to your destination a bit sooner, you'll be tempted to step on the gas. Speed too great for safety under prevailing conditions is the violation most frequently reported as contributing to motor accidents. So slow down. Don't let death take your holiday. Ladies and gentlemen, to depend upon your judgment and to fulfill my own obligation, I submit the facts, fully aware of my responsibility to my client and to you as defense attorney. The American Broadcasting Company presents Miss Mercedes McCambridge as defense attorney. When Martha Ellis Bryant chose law as a career, she accepted the challenge of defending the defenseless. 
Mike Pelley was one of the defenseless. Already convicted of murder in the first degree, he sits staring at the floor of his death cell, listening to the approaching steps of his final visitor. Hello, Mike. Hello, Miss Bryant. Hi. Mike, I've just come from the Court of Appeals. And the... It's all right, Miss Bryant. You don't have to say it. As soon as I saw your face, I knew the answer. Mike, I'm sorry. Of course, there's still the governor. I'll try for a stay of execution. No, 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 no. no. Don't. Don't do it. Well, there's always a chance, Mike. Yes, yes. Always a chance. For what? Another 48 hours, another week, or another month. Another month of life, Mike. Oh, no, it isn't. It's another month of waiting for death. I don't want to wait anymore. Don't I... give up. Not yet, Mike. Please don't. don't. give up. That's easy for you to say. Is it? What am I supposed to do? Die with a smile on my face? Am I supposed to say, what a great joke on the state. They're executing the wrong man. I didn't say that. No, no, you didn't say it. But it's easy for everybody else to be calm and logic. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Miss Brown. I apologize. It's all right, Mike. No, it isn't. I've given you a rough time right from the start, and you don't deserve it. Not the way you've been pitching. It's my job. Oh, I don't know what gets in him. I just can't explain it. I, well, if I was guilty, if I was dying for a reason, maybe then I could die like a man. But I'm going to die for something I didn't do, and I... Oh, yes, I had a fight with Davidson. Sure, I admitted that, but that's all. He was alive when I left. I didn't kill him. I'm just a storekeeper. I'm not a murderer. Mike, have you told the truth all the way? Are you sure you didn't go back to Davidson's store after the fight? Oh, no, no, I told you a hundred times. I closed my shop for the night and I went home. I saw Davidson through the window of his store. He was counting cash. He was getting ready to close up, too. And... In court, you said that you lowered the awning on your store before you went home. Oh, it sure was the last thing I did every night before closing. The morning sun hits the store front. It'd fade the fabrics in the show window if I didn't do something to keep it yes, up. Yes, I know all that, Mike, but you've never explained why you left that iron crank handle outside the store after you cranked the awning down. Well, I, I just forgot it, that's all. I've forgotten it other times. It was always there in the morning. It wasn't there when they found Davidson's body. It was on the floor of his store beside his body, and it had been used to kill him. Well, it wasn't used by me. Is that why I'm here? Can they kill me because something I own was used to kill somebody else? It didn't set well with the jury, Mike. You were convicted because of that crank handle. And the testimony of Mrs. Robert Latham. Oh, Mrs. Latham was lying. She told the jury she saw you run out of Davidson's store and jump into your car. She gave the license number of the car. She described it perfectly. A red Nash Rambler. Said she'd just driven up to park in the space right behind your car. Why wouldn't she look at me while she was testifying? Why'd she keep turning her head away? If I can understand that, it isn't easy to help send the man to an electric chair. Well, I left the store. It was my own store. And I walked to my car. I got in and I drove home. Davidson was in his place, and he was alive, and nobody else was around. And nobody drove up to park behind me. That woman lied. She had no reason. Then she did it without a reason. Mike, there's always a motive in lying as well as in murder. And Mrs. Latham is absolutely without motive. She'd never seen you before. She had nothing against you. She didn't know Davidson or anybody close to him. I checked Well, then she was mistaken. She saw somebody else. The license number she gave was yours, Mike. 
And you do have a red... It's not dry. I don't care if she had a thousand license numbers. And they were all mine. She didn't see me run out of Davison's store. I... Oh, it doesn't make any difference now, anyhow. I couldn't convince a jury, and I can't even convince my own lawyer. Mike, I tried to believe you. I know you have. You tried. It's not your fault. Like you said, there's a motive for everything, and everybody thinks I had a motive for killing Davidson. Well, you fought with him. Oh, yeah, I fought with him. (laughs) Do you ever see a fight between two shopkeepers, Miss Bryant? Two men who spend their lives indoors, never getting any sun, any exercise... Oh, yeah. That's some fight. A lot of yelling and pushing, a lot of punches that didn't hit anything. Wouldn't have hurt if they did. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was some fight. If only you hadn't gone looking for trouble. Oh, I know that now, but he broke his promise. When he rented me the store, I told him I'd set up a haberdashery. You know, shirts, ties, robes, and shoes. And He was selling suits in his own place. And two businesses like that, well, they could work in together. They'd help each other. And he started to put a haberdashery line in his own place, trying to cut me out. Well, I just wanted to get out of my lease so I could move. That's just all there was to it. We argued, yes, but I didn't kill him. Mike, can you think of anything, anything at all that you haven't told me before? Because if there is anything, this is your last chance to tell me now. Well, there's nothing else. All I want to say is, no matter how I've acted, what I've said to you, I am grateful for your help. Well, then why don't you prove that to me? Mike, sign this appeal to the governor. Give me a little bit more time to help you. Mike, how about it? No. But I might oh, be able to please, do something. Please, Miss Bryan. I... I've resigned myself to what they're going to do tomorrow night. I'm not a brave man, but I've mustered whatever courage I have to take me from this life into the next. And if there's another delay, I'll lose that courage. And there's no hope for me. You know there's no hope for me. Is there anything you want? Is there anything that I I could have sent in here for you? Yeah. You go to church, Miss Brown? Mm-hmm. Well, then there's something you can do. You can say a prayer for her. Yeah, and while you're there, you say a prayer for Mrs. Robert Latham, too. Because I swear by all that's sacred, that woman lied. Sometimes I wish you weren't an attorney. I hate to see you going into places like that. Well, thank you for driving me up, John. I'll have to come up here again tomorrow. You? Tomorrow? Why? City desk has assigned me to cover the execution. Ah, John. It's a rotten assignment. But you just have to remember that the man in the chair is dying because he killed somebody else. Suppose the man in the chair is innocent. You mean you're not convinced Mike Pelly killed Davidson? I was convinced until just a few minutes ago. Marty, don't let your sympathy get the best of your judgment. No, this isn't sympathy, no. Mike Pelly's given up all hope of living. But he hasn't changed his story. And if he were guilty, I think he'd admit it now. Instead, he asked me to say a prayer for Mrs. Latham. Because she lied. 
Marty, why should she lie? She's a prominent and respected woman. She's Robert Latham's wife. You're pretty sold on Robert Latham, aren't you? I respect him. He left a big business to go to Europe and help with a rehabilitation program. He's, he's going to wind up as an ambassador, Marty. And he'll deserve it. How can you doubt the wife of a man like that? Just the same, I'd like to hear her story once more. Because if Mike Kelly is innocent, we've only got till midnight tomorrow to find out. Are you sure that you won't join me in another cocktail, Miss Bryant? Oh, no, thank you, Mr. Oh, it's no trouble to drink one of the servants. No, really, no, I... I just want to talk about Mike Pelly. Oh! Drop my glass. I'm getting so clumsy lately. Uh, look, it's after four o'clock, Miss Bryant. I have some guests coming. I should be preparing for them. Couldn't you... Uh, could you come back another day? I'm afraid not, Mrs. Latham. Mike Pelly's execution is scheduled for tomorrow night, you know. But he'll get a reprieve. The governor will surely give him a reprieve. You will get one, won't he? No, Mrs. Latham. There will be no reprieve. Why are you so surprised, Mrs. Latham? It's been in all the newspapers. Well, I don't, I don't read that sort of news. I avoid anything connected with, with murder and that sort of thing. Even when you have been the principal state witness against the man who's to be executed. Well, what can I do? What do you want to see? Me I don't about? like to see a man die without reason. That's all. Are you sure you didn't make a mistake in your testimony? Yes, I'm sure. You're certain that the man who ran from Davidson's store was Mike Pelly? Miss Bryant, you asked me all this at the time. I'm asking you again. Are you certain? Yes, yes, I'm certain. You're certain it was Pelly's car you saw, too? I told you it was a red car. I took the license Did you number. see him inside the store? Did you see him kill Davidson? No, no, I told you. I just driven up to park when he came running out. Well, then you didn't know he'd committed a murder in that store. No, how could I? You didn't know that a crime of any nature had been committed. No. Then why did you take the license number of Pelly's car, Mrs. Latham? Miss Bryant, I don't... Do you make well, a practice I... of taking license numbers of all the cars you happen to park in? No, on? but I saw him running. All the stores seemed to be closed for the night, and I thought that he'd been robbing one of them. That's why I took the number. But you didn't call the police. No. Oh, after I, after I thought about it, I decided that nothing was wrong. There was no burglar on But you called the police two days later, though. After I'd read about the murder. I thought you avoided reading that sort of news. Miss Bryant, I, I don't have to discuss this with you. I, I have guests coming, and I must ask you to leave. All right, Mrs. Latham, I hope you'll have a very pleasant evening. I, I haven't intended to be rude, but I do want to forget all this, and I'm not feeling well. Your leader is Mike Pelly. I don't know what your evening is going to be like, but I know what his is going to be like. Sometime tonight, they'll shave out a round spot on his head. They'll slit the leg of his trousers and they'll ask him what he wants for his last meal tomorrow. Why are you telling me? Just that? in the hope that you might be interested. Why should I be? What is it to me? He killed a man, didn't he? It's what he deserves, isn't it? Goodbye, Mrs. Lee. No, wait, wait, wait. Just a minute, Miss Bryan. Why don't you do something for him? Why don't you help? Why don't you, Mrs. Lee? I will. I will. I'll do anything. I, I have money. I'll pay you for every cost. You could get his help. Like in prison, but there are ways of doing that, aren't there? You really do want to help him, don't you? Yes, yes, I'll do anything. Well, then you've got a deal, Mrs. Latham. There's only one thing I want you to do. Tell the truth. Get out! Get out of here! Get out! And that just about sums up my little interview with Patricia Latham, Judd. That sounds like it was quite a session. 
But after all, Marty, she repeated the same answers that she gave you in court. Yeah, yeah, but not in the same way. In court, she was just nervous. Now she seems pretty close to being hysterical. Well, that's strange, Ara. No, it isn't really strange. A death sentence is just words. You see the condemned man. He's sentenced, but he's still alive. That woman's just realizing that Pelly is really going to die and that the words are about to become fact. Patricia Latham's going to pieces. Only one thing could cause that, Judd. Tremendous struggle with her own conscience. Now, wait a minute, Marty. You're not thinking that Patricia Latham murdered Davidson, are you? I don't know. I'm just convinced that Mike Pelly didn't. Marty, get back to the roots, the motive. For days I helped you check on her. She never knew Davidson or Mike. No, maybe not. But there's a connection someplace. There's a link that we've got to find. Judd, take me to Davidson's store. Again, Marty, we've been there a hundred times. Not since the trial ended four months ago. Somebody else probably has the store by now. Pelly's place, too. No, Davidson owned the property in both places are padlocked till probate. Nothing will be changed. Well, what do you want to see this time? Same things as before. The windows, the awning, the place where Mrs. Latham said she parked, and the line of vision between there and the entrance to Davidson. Marty, I don't want to be vulgar, but... Well, whatever happened to the evenings we used to spend necking... Ah, oh, Judge, you know how I feel about you. But I don't think I could ever feel free for an evening again if it came at the expense of Mike Pilly's life. With a few well-chosen words, Counselor, you've just made me feel like a heel. I didn't mean it that way. I know, but you're right. Well, I'm ready for duty every night for the next month. We don't have a month. It's 10 p.m. We've got exactly 26 hours. <laughs> That's it, honey. She could see everything, all right. Her story still holds up. Yeah. The shopping district gets pretty deserted at night, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. All the shops are closed by 8 o'clock. Hey. What? Everything is closed by 8. So what was Mrs. Latham doing here that night? Pelly said he'd closed up. Stores here aren't the kind she'd shop in anyhow. Men's wear. You should have paid closer attention at the trial, Judge. Huh? Mrs. Latham said she'd just been driving through on the way to a theater party. She dropped a lighted cigarette on the floor of her car. She pulled over to the curb to pick it up. <laughs> well, there goes my claim to fame as a shamus. <laughs> but, uh, don't I rate a kiss for trying? No, Judge, somebody's coming. Huh? Oh, it's just a special cop. He's trying the doors to the shops, making sure they're locked. Evening. Good evening. evening. He didn't try the doors to Davidson's or Pelly's. No need to with those padlocks on the doors. But, Chad, the door to Davidson's store wasn't locked the morning his body was found. How come that special policeman didn't discover the open door the night of the murder? That's a thought. Hey, hey, fella. Me? Yeah, we'd like to talk to you. What's the trouble, ma'am? Oh, there's no trouble, officer. Uh, do you work in this district here every night? Yeah, Merchant's Police and Protection Service. Why? How long have you had this section? Oh, a little over two years, I guess. Were you on patrol around here the night that Mr. Davidson was killed? The guy who owned the suit store, yeah. But I wasn't around just when it happened. Well, what time do you make your rounds? I mean, you have a, a fixed schedule? For... Uh-huh. I check this block like now around 11 p.m. I come through again about 2 a.m., then about 5 a.m. The coroner's report showed that Davidson was killed at about 8.15, Marty. I know. Officer, how come you didn't discover that the door to Davidson's store had been left unlocked that night? I had no reason to discover it, lady. Davidson didn't take our service. Uh-huh. Uh, that answers that, Marty. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good night. Good night. Good night. 
Oh, just a second. Yeah? Uh, I saw you drop something in the doorway of that last door that you tried. Just a card showing the door has been checked. They drop one on each car. I see. Well, you tried practically every door on this street. Do all the merchants subscribe to your service? Just about it. Was Mike Kelly a subscriber? No. He was pretty new around here, though. Maybe the salesman hadn't got to him yet. Guess him and Davidson was the only ones on this block who didn't take the service. Thank you again. You bet. So long. Uh-huh. Judd, what do you think of him? Uh, just a working guy, Marty. A lot of ex-servicemen on jobs like this. Some of them study for the regular police force. This watchman stuff is sort of a fill-in and helps them get experience. Then you think he's all right? I imagine so. I can't say as much for the outfit he works for, though. Why? What do you mean? The uh, Merchants Police and Protection Service, as they call it, is a racket run by Chuck Duffy, a graduate of the Federal Pen in Atlanta. His uh, salesmen are torpedoes from the same school. Well, pretty hard to say no to salesmen like that. Not many people do say no, as you can see from the cards in the doorways. The only ones who didn't subscribe were Davidson and Mike Kelly. Now one is dead and the other is about to be executed. Yeah, and that could add up to something. And we got to find out. Let's go. Well, there's only one joker in the deck, though, Marty. Yeah, I know. Patricia Latham. Mm-hmm. Only I could find some way to discredit her testimony, some way to convince the state that she might be lying. Well, you've checked her a hundred times, Marty. She's a reputable woman. How could you discredit Robert Latham's wife? She wasn't always Latham's wife. We don't know anything about her before she came to this part of the country. There might be something in her past that we haven't uncovered. You mean she might have been in jail at some time or involved in some crime? Well, that's possible. We'd have found out about it, Marty. Why? A crime committed in some other place? Some conviction under a false name? Well, even if such a thing existed, we'd never find it. Not without fingerprints or some form of identification that could be checked reliably without a state police. And there are 48 states. We don't even know where she came from. We could find out from the Hall of Records. A marriage license. Marriage license. Hey, there's a better way than that. A way we can get fingerprints, too. Oh. Forget our marriage license. Her driver's license is the thing we want. The application will not only tell us where she came from originally, but her thumbprints will be on it as well. No, not necessarily. That fingerprinting is optional, not mandatory. She might not have given her prints. Why would a reputable woman refuse, Marty? If she did refuse, it would mean she had something to hide. With Mike's life at stake, the police might be interested in just a little fact like that. Oh, Judd, I think you're wondering. <laughs> well, that's what I keep telling you. <laughs> hey, look. I've got friends at the Motor Vehicle Bureau. You keep your eyes open for an all-night diner or a drugstore. I'll phone and have them start digging. No, you better go yourself, because there isn't much time. Well, what'll you do? Go to police headquarters. For what? We haven't actually got anything on Mrs. Latham yet. Don't forget Chuck Duffy and his possible motive. I want to check the reports on his gang. Past crimes won't connect them with this one. No, but you know strong-arm men, Judd. Some of them use guns, some use knives. They all have favorite weapons. I want to see if any one of Duffy's hooblins had a habit of committing assault with makeshift weapons. Common things like a piece of pipe. Or an awning crank? That's the idea, John. That might give us a lead at that. So you check Mrs. Latham, I'll check Duffy. Drop me at a cab stand and meet me at police headquarters when and if you get anything. In hurry, Judd, hurry. Morning, honey. Hi. Quite a stack of police reports you got there. Yeah, and they're all on the Duffy mob. What did you find? You're going to be disappointed, Marty. I found nothing. Absolutely nothing. Oh, Judd, what do you mean? I mean that Patricia Latham not only didn't leave her fingerprints on her application for a driver's license, she hasn't even got a driver's license. She hasn't got a license? 
Are you sure of that? I sure, Marty. It's daylight outside. I've been going over those files all night. But, Chubb, that proves she gave false testimony. She said she drove up and she parked behind Mike's car on the night of the killing. And she can still say the same thing, Marty. The only thing it would prove is that she was driving without a license. And that won't save Pally from the electric chair. Well, could her license records be lost? No. no. The only possibility is that an old license expired. She forgot to renew it. Can't you check on that? We could check it easily if we knew the year she made her first application. But we don't. The boys at the Bureau are still digging for me. If they come up with anything, they'll call me here. Well, what time is it? It's almost 8 a.m. And what have you found in the Duffy gang? Well, a stack of assault charges against a man named Roy Nichols. Usually assault with a dangerous weapon. And his choice of weapons has always been made on the spur of the moment. Things like a flat iron, a jack handle, a rock. Uh-huh. Just the sort of boy to work somebody over with an awning crack if he saw one at hand. Yeah. he look anything like Mike Pelly. I mean, could he be mistaken for Pelly on quick sight? No, uh-uh. Here's his photograph. Oh, no. Well, I hope the boys at the Motor Vehicle Bureau find something. Well, we can't wait for them. You call them and tell them you're not going to be here. Where can I tell them to reach me? At Mrs. Latham's. We've failed at everything else. Why would I lie? Why would I do such a horrible thing to a man I've never seen before? I don't know your motive, Mrs. Latham. You'll never get another chance to tell the truth. Tomorrow will be too late. Think about it, Mrs. Latham. Mike Kelly has only 12 hours to live. You're the only one who can save him. Offered you money to help. I offered to do anything. Oh, I think that's for no, me. No, no, no. It's the call that I've been waiting for. It's my husband. I placed a transfer behind a call last night, and they've been trying to locate him in Germany. I've got to talk to him. Please, please go into the other room. Come on, Marty. be a phone extension in here someplace, Marty. I don't see one. Uh, there, in the corner. Yeah. I see you've located the extension, Miss Bob. Uh... It's all right. It is your call, not mine. I'll be in here when you finish. Hello? Yeah, George, shoot. Applied five years ago, huh? And comes from where? Yeah, I got it. Oh, what's that? Uh, spell it. A-C-H-R-O. I got it. Achromatopsia. Yeah, it may help. Thanks. Bye. That was the Motor Bureau, Marty. They located an old application, but no license. She was rejected physical disability. Achromatopsia, whatever that is. You ever hear of it? I don't know. I might have. Is that all they could tell you? That's all. Except for her place of birth came from Brookville, West Virginia. Brookville, West Virginia? Mm Mm-hmm. Chubb, that's where that fellow, that Roy the, Nichols, came from. The hoodlum, you have the file on? Yeah. And Marty, the, what's the matter? Well, there's something else to that word, that chromatopsia. Chrom- oh, Judd, if that means what I think it means, it... Come on. Right. Mrs. Latham. Why can't you leave me alone? Yes, we will, in just a minute. When did you see Roy Nichols last? I, I don't know anybody by that name. Don't lie, Mrs. Latham. Not again. You came from the same town in West Virginia. Well, I don't remember All right, name. Mrs. Latham. It's my mistake, I guess. I only have one more question for you. It's a very simple question. You can see Mr. Barnes quite clearly, can't you? Yes. Tell me, Mrs. Latham, the necktie he's wearing. What color is it? Marty, what... What color is it, Mrs. Latham? It's... Go ahead. It's... You can't answer me, can you? Because you're colorblind, aren't you? <laughs> Sure, a chromatopsia. That's what it means. She is colorblind. Well, she couldn't have seen Mike Kelly get into a red car, she described, because all colors look gray to her. She described a red car because somebody told her to describe a red car. Oh, who was that, Mrs. Latham? 
Roy Nichols. I was in love with Roy once, years ago, back home. I didn't know what it was. I was only 17. He came here after Davidson was killed and he told me what to say. He had pictures of us together, old letters of mine. He said... He said he'd ruin Robert's career if I didn't say and do what he told me. I wasn't thinking of myself. I was thinking of my husband. You think your husband is the kind of a man who'd want an innocent man to die to protect his career? No, no, that's why I was calling Robert. I wanted to tell him everything, say goodbye. I wasn't going to let Ellie die. In the, in the desk there, there's a telegram I was getting ready to send to the governor as soon as I spoke to Robert. Telegram is here, all right, Jen. A box of sleeping tablets. <laughs> I should take them out and throw them away, Mrs. Latham, but I'm not going to because I want you to think. Think of the man that you married. Not only who he is, but what he is. He must love you very much. Yes, I can see that you love him. I do not but improve it to him. Have enough faith in him to let him see you through this. You're probably the most important thing in his life. Don't take yourself away from him. I won't. I promise. I'll take this telegram to the police. There are a few people they'll want to see. They can arrange to stop Kelly's execution. You better come down to headquarters yourself after a while. I know. Will you help me? Yes. That must be Robert's call. We'll leave you then. Come on, sir. Right. I don't know what to say. You know what to say. Remember, you're talking to the man who loves you. Hello? Yes, is she? From Frankfurt? Yes, I'm ready. looking over the story. Why, you think I wrote it very well. All I care about is that headline. Mike Kelly released. I think it's great. Hey. Listen to that tune on the jukebox. You know who's doing the vocal? Mm-mm. Mercedes McCambridge. You were expecting maybe Mario Lanza. I never knew she was a singer. Well, if she is, she'll need more than that record to prove it to me. Oh, you attorneys. <laughs> Always want proof. Proof, proof. <laughs> You know something, Marty? Mm-hmm. I can't get Mrs. Latham out of my mind. How could she have ever been mixed up with a torpedo like Roy Nichols? You don't know very much about women, do you, Jack? Huh? There are two men in every woman's life. The man she marries and the one she's glad she didn't marry. Every woman has a big mistake someplace in her past. Now, wait a minute. I don't like the sound of that, Marty. Were you ever in love with somebody else? Stop kidding, Marty. I, I want to know. I'll tell my husband about my big mistake someday. I'll say to him, you know, once I was in love with a no-good heel, a newspaper man named Judd Barnes. Young lady, I shall drive you home. And this romance is ended. Ah, it's too bad. Because I was just going to ask you whatever happened to the evenings we used to spend naked. Oh, well, 
since you put it that way, I'll drive you home by way of the park. I've just heard Mercedes McCambridge as defense attorney with Howard Culver as judge. Music was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Defense attorney was written by Joel Murcott. The program is directed by Dwight Hauser. Next week, another exciting adventure with Mercedes McCambridge, defense attorney. Be sure to listen. This is your FBI. The official broadcast from the files of the FBI follows immediately. Stay tuned. This program came to you from Hollywood. America is sold on ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That was Defense Attorney and the episode Client Mike Pelly here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. And over here is... Wendy. This is Tim's wife, Wendy, and we have made a tradition over the last few years for our Valentine's Day broadcast of having one of our wives come in and pick an episode and talk about it with us here on the podcast, and this is Wendy's first time in, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I was really excited when it was emailed to me what Wendy's pick was (laughs) because, you know, forgive me for my ignorance, but... I was unaware of the treasure trove of hard-boiled female detectives that existed. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me six months ago, I would just assume none had ever happened in the 40s and and the Mm -hmm. 50s. And then you find all of these great hard-boiled, noir-type female detective shows that were out there. But when I came across Mercedes McCambridge, who... I don't know if you know this, Wendy. She's like my favorite uh, radio actor of all time. I was so excited. So I listened to a bunch of them and I loved them. So then I get, oh, she's going to do Mike Pelly. And I went, I know this one, which is very rare for me. Wendy, uh, how did you come across this? Why did you pick this one? So I have to say I'm not well-versed in old radio. And so I gave Tim some parameters around some (laughs) uh, what I wanted for mine. And I wanted something that was written by a woman. And I wanted something that was not a morality play that is focused on like a woman who doesn't meet the standards of society and so she is haunted or she's dies or she you know she's killed or you didn't want the yellow wallpaper (laughs) (laughs) like yeah there are a couple that i've listened to on on your show that like the velt where like oh the woman actually needs a little help raising your kids and (laughs) and cleaning the house so oh nope you're killed Uh, or there's one where like a woman likes to listen to jazz music so she's killed so (laughs) or she's a cat wife yeah (laughs) so i wanted something that wasn't like putting women into a box right is she always this needy (laughs) (laughs) uh well in fairness i did not get her i don't think this was written by a woman no oh it was oh sorry (laughs) no no (laughs) so uh apparently she needs to be very explicit in her instructions and i still will not get it right when you got the episode from Tim and you listened to it, uh, what was your reaction? I really liked it. I really liked the format of it. It felt like like a law and order where you're kind of figuring out what happened along the way as they're figuring it out. Um, I liked that the man was kind of goofy and <laughs> wanted to go necking. Uh, <laughs> 
her I, ditzy sidekick. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was basically he was kind of ditzy. Um, yeah, but he was helpful. The, you know, when she asked him to do stuff, he did it. You call him goofy and ditzy. Are those code words for unbelievably horny? Because <laughs> that's that guy was like, how about now? <laughs> so it's probably the most realistic radio show we listen to. <laughs> But seriously, how many times that guy say, well, here we are again, uh, now? But I think no. it has something to do with reversing that role of, of usually that would be the emotionally needy female character. So mm-hmm. when they put the male in the role, he's physically needy. <laughs> <laughs> then it fulfilled, other than it wasn't a female writer, it fulfilled right. all the requirements? Yeah, it did. I really liked did it. Did you listen to any more of Defense Attorney or just this one? No, but I would like to. I think that the story is good, uh, but I would say that 50% of me liking this is Mercedes McCambridge pulling off this writing. She's so powerful in how she yeah. uh, holds herself, especially on radio, as an actor. But I listened it, to several of these trying to find a good one to, to pitch, mm-hmm. and there are the others out there that have better sound quality, but it may just be because this was the first one I heard... This script really stood out to me. As the sound quality, uh, you warned me, but yeah, it's not very, that bad. It's, it's not that it bad. drops out here and there, uh, mm-hmm. but very briefly. I think it's well worth listening to. Right. Not enough yeah. to make me give up, yeah. which I've had episodes where I'm in them and I'm like, I'm going to send this to the guys doing the podcast. And then after a while I go, it's not worth <laughs> the sound quality. It's just not worth digging through this. Joshua, uh, have you heard any of these uh, hard-boiled female detectives before? I've heard Candy Matson stuff, which I'm sure we'll bring to the podcast in some future date. I've never heard Defense Attorney before. This is the first one, and I really enjoyed it. Again, Mercedes McCambridge has this quality that's perfect for a defense attorney because she can communicate kindness. She can be gentle. She can be compassionate, but she can still be hard as nails. It's just a very fine line she walks in in this role. And I think it's interesting too, because all the law stuff I can think of, I, I don't know a lot about the old time radio legal shows, but they're usually a little bit more pro system, right? It's Mr. District Attorney or like gangbusters. And this is your FBI right, where they're, right. you know, the law enforcement officers are always heroes. And it's just, I think it's interesting even to have it feature a defense attorney at this time. I can't think of any other show like that. They're usually prosecutors. I mean, now it's hugely topical, right? Every show on Netflix is some guy accused who's supposedly innocent (laughs) and is on death row. Do you think... I got to be careful how I say this, but do you think that because it's a female lead character that she is more sensitive, more caring, has more empathy than a man, that making her a defense attorney made more sense? There may have been some thinking in there. If a female is a prosecutor, though, back in... Well, you can even argue today, but it's a harder uphill battle to become likable if they're mm-hmm. on the attack mm-hmm. instead yep. of coming to the defense of the poor and the downtrodden, the falsely right. accused. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you've heard more of these, Tim. My question is, is it always like detective work or do we ever see her in the courtroom? I don't think I heard her in the courtroom, okay. I can recall. Wow, that's interesting. It's, I don't think it's I It's not either. always life and death. The stakes were really high in this one. Yeah, yeah. it's usually just uh, her doing paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real defense attorney. <laughs> so just because I got the list up, here are the others, and I want to see if you knew of any of these others that I came across when I made this list. Um, there's Candy Matson, Meet Miss Sherlock, Anne of the Airlines, <laughs> Miss Marple, Carolyn Day Detective, 
Miss Pinkerton, policewoman, uh, not the Angie Dickinson one. <laughs> I, I heard policewoman. And There's only one of those. Yes, I do. We might have a discussion about that in the future. Yeah, it, that was, yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> the affairs of Anne Scotland, uh, Susan Bright, psychic detective. Wow. Yeah, uh, Kitty Keene. Phil, P-H-Y-L, Co. And because the sponsor was Philco, and they named her Phil Co. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come across any of those when trying to... Uh, Policewoman was the, the, the only one. Yeah, that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you didn't bring that one uh, surviving episode. So one of the first things that we learn at the top of this is that we're 50, 60 years from this, and we've made no progress in educating people that you need to be good drivers <laughs> and to slow down. So all of this public education about being a good driver is never ending, never stops, and it doesn't work. Seriously, 60 years later, you've got to be a good driver because it was, it was Peter Laurie. <laughs> There's a really great moment uh, in here when they talk about the two shopkeepers fighting. Yes, <laughs> yes. one of my like favorite. F- fists that don't but it, hit it, anything or something yeah, like that. Yeah, a lot of punches that didn't hit anything, and even if they did, they wouldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, as someone who works in retail, I found that hilarious and insulting. <laughs> I l- it made me immediately think of celebrity boxing. <laughs> Like Greg Brady versus Ernie from My Three Sons, <laughs> throwing punches. Uh, and I love that the motivation apparently was a haberdashery. Yeah, that we're both starting one. The only crime motivated by hats that I'm familiar with in old time radio. <laughs> that opening speech of his, though, where he's giving all this background. It was a little weird, sweet, bittersweet moment of when he apologized to her, of like, oh, you've done so much for me. I'm so sorry to be bothering you. Like, you're going to die in 24 hours. I'll let it go. In that speech, I didn't have quite as much compassion for him as she did. I was like, oh, my God, you're so annoying. I want to, I, I want to kill you. Stop whining. Did anybody notice that when Mike started crying, it was like a completely different actor showed up? Stop it did not crying. stand out to me. Oh, just, just don't ever cry, man. <laughs> I know you're on death row, but wow, you sound... It's okay for up. men to cry, but not you, Mike. Right. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm looking at my notes, and it's making me laugh, because every third line I wrote, come on, let's have sex already. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of saving this guy's life. When are we going to make out? <laughs> You can hit mistake execution tomorrow. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes. I want to have sex tomorrow too. Never mind. <laughs> but then it ends with, you know, yes, finally, sex in the park. <laughs> That's the ending to this. Let's do the decent thing and go <laughs> make out in public. You could make the mistake that the plot was is he going to get to have sex? And it ends with, yes. <laughs> Finally, in the park. That's, that's what this is about. So, like, there's a world where the first draft had no guy on death row, no, no mystery. We have to give her something to do. It can't be easy. It needs to be an obstacle. I seriously have to get this guy off death row. Um, what did you guys think of, uh, and I'm going to withhold any kind of uh, inkling. Oh, you're just like that. Marty, um, <laughs> withholding. <laughs> 
<laughs> what did you think of the meta moment at the end that Mercedes McCambridge was singing? I liked it a lot. Did you like that? Yes, I did like it. Mm-hmm. And I think they played it really well. They sold the romantic banter. I mean, we're making jokes about how hard he's hitting on her. But I mean, the relationship they build between each other as actors, I feel like I believe it like they know each other and mm-hmm. they have great affection. And that, I think, helps that moment. Because in that moment, when she acknowledges that they're listening to Mercedes McCambridge, and he kind of laughs and makes a joke, you're sitting with the actors then, Mm -hmm. not the characters. And because they're appealing, it worked for me. Uh, that totally went over my head. I didn't. I didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you listen to these like I do? <laughs> I just wait for Joshua to tell me yeah. what I missed. <laughs> I out loud said, "Oh, come on!" Um, <laughs> it pulled me out. You know, like I'm listening to this woman who is a defense attorney and this plot and all of this, and then all of a sudden there's a woman singing, and that's Mercedes. And I went, "Are they seconds away from plugging her album?" You know, is this... Uh, there's seconds past plugging your album. <laughs> but it was self-deprecating, and it was at the very it's end. Just, it's the it, denouement, it's the little winky moment at the end. If that had come up in the middle, <laughs> <laughs> then I would have been like, really? Yeah. It's no time than... for sex, but you can plug your record? Come on. <laughs> denouement. <laughs> Why are you doing that to me? I'm over here frantically Googling D A N, right? Dan Numa. He's a realtor out of Portland. Uh, as a quick aside, every time I tried to Google defense attorney, oh, yeah. you got a you, you got, got a like, tracker on your computer. Now. Yeah. Desperately need to find defense attorney. Why can't I find defense attorney? <laughs> I've learned that that happens a lot when researching these podcasts, that if you don't include the phrase on Google old time radio after anything, you just get a creeps by night page (laughs) or I love a mystery to me that the only I love a mystery is the radio show. And it turns out it's just a bunch of blogs about people who love mysteries. (laughs) (laughs) Any other thoughts or comments before we move to our final One of the things I particularly liked about this script was the mystery of it. I feel like a lot of mysteries are Agatha Christie mysteries where it's all infallible logic provided you have this incredibly specific knowledge, you know, of types of grass in Northern England or what have you (laughs) um, that normal people don't have versus, say, like, hard-boiled detective crime mysteries where it's just you, you get a clue and then you go beat somebody up and they tell you. This was, I felt like, a very fair mystery of uh, it reveals something like ah oh, should have a driver's license well that's suspicious but doesn't prove anything but so it's worth looking in more and things i as a listener would leap to the next step that they wanted me to be at when they wanted me to be there hmm. i liked the mystery of it it wasn't unfair and it wasn't too easy and i liked how it was complemented with some very human moments oh yeah the, mrs the... letham was going to kill herself and, and to me that's kind of the big reveal at the end i mean yes there's the puzzle part where it's like she's colorblind aha mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. kind of a pat mystery solution but it i think is saved by the human consequences of all this that and marty that character deals with compassionately phone call she has to have now with, yeah. with her husband yeah 
I found it interesting that we used to have to get fingerprinted to get our driver's license. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the description was you, you didn't don't have, have to. to. No. Yeah. But if you don't, why don't you want to give it your finger? <laughs> that was basically right. Like, oh, well, if they don't, they're clearly a criminal. <laughs> John essentially says that. Well, she's guilty then. But he also assumed that she was innocent because her husband was going to be an mm-hmm. ambassador. So obviously she's innocent. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other quick random bit of trivia I read is that Mercedes McCambridge was pregnant uh, yes. when doing this. Really? Yeah. And she said in this interview, I found which I never thought of because I'm a man, but how nice it is to have radio work because she couldn't do anything else yeah. pregnant. Right. You couldn't even write it into a story you wouldn't show on TV. Yeah, or it wasn't, it wasn't appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. And the other thing is they mentioned in this article who the godparents of this yet-to-be-born child was going to be of Mercedes McCambridge. Are you ready for this? Her godmother was going to be Marlena Dietrich. Wow. And the Godfather wow. was J.D. Salinger. I kid you oh, not. Wow. <laughs> I just wow. sat there and read it like six times. <laughs> Whoa. And they were going to name him Banana Fish. <laughs> <laughs> the last point that I have is, as a writer, a little disappointed that we didn't have the moment where we got to hear Mike say, yay, thank you. I'm out of jail. I, I appreciate it so much. It felt like... Uh, we only have him for an hour. We ran late, so we're going to have to cut the... <laughs> Let's plug Mercedes' album. Well, we got to fit on. Well, it was I, a scene of, oh, back to the hat store. <laughs> <laughs> Who do I have to kill to get out of this? <laughs> There's always shopkeeper boxing. <laughs> I, I would have liked to have heard that. So, I think the emotional climax was with Mrs. Latham. Yeah. I think it would have been weird to have that emotional moment and then have yeah. another emotional moment. I hear you. And Judd would have had to wait longer for sex. Yeah. <laughs> and there'd be another moment on a park and a bench. <laughs> on a bench in a park. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Wendy, before we go to our final thing, uh, did you listen to old-time radio before... Meeting Tim or us doing this podcast or any, it was this ever a thing in your uh, life? Not actively, but um, as a child, I guess I was around six. My dad was in grad school at a town about three hours away from where we lived. And so he would stay there and then we would go visit him on the weekends. And so oftentimes my sister and I would be just thrown in the back seat with blankets and in our jammies or whatever to make that drive. And my mom would listen to, you know, whatever horror show was on the radio on probably WGN or something, something out of Chicago. I'm guessing it was CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Yeah, so they were kind of in my subconscious, but I don't remember specifics and, of it and now do you take time to listen to any of it or do, what, do, what do you oh god no <laughs> <laughs> i listen to your podcast sporadically i can't yeah. say that i've listened to every single one but neither um, have i uh, <laughs> yeah on occasion yes and you like it yeah i do like it all right send it to a vote mm-hmm. joshua I definitely think this stands the test of time. There's some strangely contemporary stuff in here, like innocent people on death row. I mean, we're fascinated by these stories now. Also really interesting contemporary thing is that it used to be a hokey old trope of having compromising photos. Now where we've come right back to it, whether it be yearbook photos or pictures right. on your cell phone, and now suddenly everyone understands the horror of having a compromised photo. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, right. That was just old-fashioned for so long. Not anymore. <laughs> so it definitely stands the test of time, I, I think. 
Tim? Definitely stands the test of time. And I think highest thing that can be said is Mercedes McCambridge. Mm-hmm. It's easy to take her for granted yeah, because uh, she's so prolific. But this is a great example of how good she is. As far as saying if it's a classic or not, we listen to so many really good ones that I, I'll not say classic, but that feels mean. But <laughs> stands the test of time. I actually agree with you 100% that it stands the test of time. I think that a lot of it has to do with my biased uh, adoration of Mercedes McCambridge and just listening. I just love her voice, for starters, let alone her acting ability. I love the tone of her voice in addition to everything else. Um, I thought that the story was good, and I know we made our jokes, but I'm going to be very serious. I thought the whole thing about him wanting to get a little... If you took all that out, I might throw classic on this, but it just <laughs> just kept bugging me that why can't you just let her do her job? <laughs> it bugged me. So, well, uh, he's got to spend like ten minutes out of his two or three days to do his journalist job, <laughs> right? So, if you had friends that uh, were like, "What's old time radio?" Would you recommend this one? For oh, definitely. I think it. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting and i think you know other than the time period it was happening in i think it could be a story that was told today the characters all seemed really realistic and i thought it was really well done fantastic all right well thank you wendy so much wendy happy valentine's day (laughs) this is what he got you (laughs) a podcast full of men (laughs) (laughs) that sounds dirtier than it is sorry judd is rubbing off on me don't say rubbing off All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes of the podcast there. Uh, It's also a place to learn about our live shows. If you ever want to see us live in the Twin Cities area, sometimes we do live shows. And it's a great way to get a hold of us. You can leave comments on episodes. You can also, uh, there's a little contact page you can use. It also uh, links to our social media stuff, Facebook, Instagram, whatnot, hoo-ha. Get a hold of us. Hoo-ha would be a great <laughs> name for a social media Hoo-ha.com? <laughs> Don't look that up. <laughs> but when, a whole bunch of hoo-ha. Hoo-ha. I am going... Stop saying it, Eric. <laughs> no, I'm going to copyright that, man. That is a good one. You can also go to iTunes and write a review. We do love reviews. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themorals. We've got all sorts of fun, exciting rewards for supporters. And uh, we could honestly really use the money. <laughs> <laughs> We're, you're really sad. We're running a hoo-ha here. <laughs> Wendy, thank you again so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, Next time uh, next it is Joshua's pick. And we are going to go back to the Hall of Fantasy for an episode entitled The Perfect Script. Until then... Look out! Well, whatever happened to the evenings we used to spend necking? Well, I'm ready for duty every night for the next month. Don't I rate a kiss for trying? Well, pretty hard to say no to a salesman like that. Not many people do say no.